Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to your one-stop shop for horror news, true crime, and real-life tales of the unexplained. Monsters at Midnight, The Revenge. Episodes of Monsters upload on a bi-weekly format every other Tuesday. I'm your host, your favorite escaped madman, loose on the airwaves, terrorizing your eardrums, Matt Schaefer. On today's episode, let's get reintroduced. Hi, I'm Matt, and I love movies. This is 100 of my favorites. So without further ado, lock your doors, bolt your windows, and turn out the lights. Monsters at Midnight, the motherfucking revenge, rides again. Movies have been my passion for a long time. Uh, it wasn't even really until high school that I started getting into horror movies. Um, I grew up watching all sorts of different stuff. Comedies, adventure films, uh, old-time musicals uh, from the Golden Age and stuff like that. I have a deep love for movies in general. I love all different sorts, all different kinds, um, outside of the realms of horror. And... Uh, for the longest time, I've had a list of my top 100 on Letterboxd, which you can peruse at your leisure if any of these pique your interest, or if you're, for whatever reason, not unfamiliar or uh, unfamiliar with the ones I'm going to mention. Um, I've always wanted to do something uh, on this podcast uh, related to my love of movies in general. So I think this is going to be the best way to do it. I'm going to break down my top 100 favorite films from bottom to top. Um, might break this into parts. Uh, if you do the math, even if I talk for a minute about these individual movies, looking at like an hour and 40 minutes <laughs> for this podcast. So I think I might break this into two parts. Um, we'll call this part one. We'll go through 100 to 50. And then on the next episode, we will go 49 to number one. Of course, if you want to spoil it, um, this list is available to see on my letterbox at mattflamingo.com slash letterboxd. Or, no, excuse me, the inverse of that, letterbox.com slash Flamingo. Um, but yeah, it's just going to be sort of off the cuff, jawing about uh, why I like these movies and uh, what they mean to me and their importance to me. And I think we've wasted enough time here because it's already going to be pretty long. Um, I might even need to break it into more than one uh two parts if uh i can't uh rein it in here so i'm just going to keep an eye on the runtime and gauge it from there but i humbly present to you my top 100 favorite films number 100 airplane airplane is one of the funniest movies ever made if not one of the if not the funniest movie ever made um the gags in this movie are incredible. Uh, for those of you unaware, it is... Airplane is directed by uh, the Zucker brothers and Jim Abrahams, who were very prolific in the 70s and 80s, making these screwball comedies, um, a lot of which were lampooning uh, different genres or different types of films. Airplane tackles 
the sort of airport disaster film, which was actually pretty big throughout the 70s, um, with, the, of course, the airport films, while simultaneously being a remake of, like, a comedic remake of this movie from, like, the 40s or 50s, which I can't remember the uh, title of, but the plot is basically the same. Um, something goes horribly wrong on an airline uh, that leaves the... Uh, pilots out of commission and it is up to uh this uh world war well i guess it would be vietnam era uh fighter pilot to save the day uh this movie is incredible great cast leslie nielsen as always just being one of the funniest human beings on the planet the banter and dialogue is so memorable and quotable and the gags just land every single time i watch it i do not watch this movie very often um i don't really watch a whole lot of comedies anymore i like when there's comedic things in other genres that i appreciate but there's only like a handful of straight comedies that i really enjoy and this is one of them uh, if you have not for whatever re uh, reason seen airplane i highly recommend it Number 99, To Live and Die in L.A. This is a fascinating slow-burn crime thriller about an uh, undercover uh, federal agent who is investigating this uh, counterfeit ring. And it slowly dives into the, the uh, morality issues and questions of self that come with the territory of doing this high-stake undercover work. Again, brilliant cast. William Peterson, Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe plays this amazing villain in it, like he often does. Directed by William Friedkin, uh, who of uh, the Exorcist fame and the French Connection. Uh, so there's an incredible car chase in this as well. Uh, amazing music. Uh, the musical score was done by the... Uh, uh, British new wave group Wang Chung. Phenomenal soundtrack. This movie is just unapologetically uh, intense and dark start to finish, um, but it is sort of a slow burn, uh, really kind of uh, methodical in uh, watching this lead character uh, played by William Peterson sort of descend into this uh, darker self the deeper he goes undercover. And the way that they film L.A. is just so unglamorous and grimy that and i love it when movies take some uh, a location as like glamorized as uh los angeles and uh really strip it down to the sort of seedy underbelly that isn't too hard to find when you're there definitely check it out number 98 heathers heathers is again one of the funniest movies i've ever seen super dark comedy about this uh clicky group of girls named heather and then uh another girl that <laughs> seems to uh have made it into their ranks played by winona Ryder, uh who is named veronica and her uh uh Debate of whether or not she wants to be a part of the in-crowd when she meets a, re a rebellious character played by Christian Slater, who has the brilliant idea of uh, shaking up the social politics of the school by starting to kill people. 
Uh, especially since this movie came out in 1988, it is a perfect riff on the sort of coming-of-age uh, John Hughes-type teen comedies and dramas that were coming out. This movie has a vicious and mean-spirited sense of humor that is just positively delightful and leads to some just over-the-top lunacy that uh, uh, occurs in the final third. Um, brilliant film, love it laugh my ass off every single time I see it. Number 97, The Neon Demon. More of a polarizing one here. Uh, Nicholas Winding Refn directed um, about this want-to-be model played by Elle Fanning, who is making her her way into the world of modeling in Los Angeles, uh, taken under the care and sort of guidance of a character played by Jenna Malone, as she is then sort of the subject of envy from these other two aspiring models and uh, how the fame of it all goes to this character's head. Um, this is a very interesting film, very stylish, gorgeous looking, beautiful soundtrack, um, and just super dark until it culminates into this absolutely horrific final third. Um, it's sort of billed as a horror movie, which it is to a degree, but it's not really till the final third when you get that. Um, a lot of, uh... Uh, commentary on the fashion industry and uh, sort of fame in general that is not exactly subtle but works in the context of this super lavish narrative. Um, I've always really enjoyed this movie. A lot of people don't um, think it's pretentious, think it's boring. I definitely understand it, but I think this movie really, really works. And I am a slut for style over substance, especially if the style is something I enjoy or I feel works well for the piece. And I think it really works well with The Neon Demon. Number 96, Roman Polanski's Chinatown. Super dark, gritty film noir uh, detective story starring Jack Nicholson and Faye Dunaway as he unravels this web of lies in this political sort of conspiracy dealing with uh, the water supply in San Francisco and the just dark underlyings of this family that he is uh, being uh in, engulfed in um just an unhappy movie start to finish and it's just super it's it's sad and beautiful and just ultimately one of the best detective stories that i've seen one of the best screenplays put to screen that i've seen the performances are fantastic. Jerry Goldsmith's score is incredible. The moodiness of everything and how the character of J.J. Giddis that Nicholson plays is not a hero. And he always seems to be one step behind everything that's happening, culminating in the fi- the famous final shot of the movie that uh, has since been spoiled countless times. It's just a dark, depressing film in the best possible way, and really just, like, 
the best type of film noir where uh, there are no magic Hollywood endings and sometimes the bad guys win. Uh, super cool movie. Very 70s, even though it takes place in the 30s, but uh, definitely worth a watch. Number 95, MASH. Now, I'm a huge fan of the TV show of MASH. Uh, I It's one of my favorite TV shows, a lot of nostalgia there. Um, I really like the movie, uh, although there's a lot of things about the movie that shouldn't work. Uh, Robert Altman, I believe that's his name, right? Yeah, Robert Altman is sort of famous for this editing where he layers a lot of different conversations on top of each other. This movie has a lot of noise to it, a lot of like uh, realistic, grounded believability with uh, people talking over each other and different moments of sound happening simultaneously, um, which shouldn't work. It's kind of abrasive, but it really paints this realistic picture of these uh, characters working at a mobile army surgical hospital in the Korean f uh, War. Um, which, of course, was sort of allegorical for the Vietnam War, um, although it's more of a story about all wars and how the war machine sort of chews up and spits out people and how we deal with it as a species. And MASH is forever going to be one of those great examples where these characters are just so instantly likable and memorable with Hawkeye Pierce and Trapper John in the film played by uh, Donald Sutherland and Elliot Gould. Uh, and just the absurd lengths that they take to staying sane, the hijinks, the humor, a lot of it hasn't aged well, a lot of misogyny and uh, unfortunate racism, um, but it's also a story about uh, predominantly white uh, medical workers in uh the 1950s uh so that kind of comes with the territory uh, it's an interesting film uh, uh i really enjoy it more so from the filmmaking side than the storytelling because the storytelling is more just like a jumbled sequence of vignettes than anything else i would much rather watch the tv show than the movie but the movie is important to me nonetheless number 94 terminator 2 judgment day this movie at this point really needs no introduction. It's one of the greatest action movies of all time. It's one of the best sequels of all time. Arnold Schwarzenegger is fully embracing this character of the T-100 and is just absolutely owning every scene he's in. Some of the best uh, special effects of the time and some of the best practical effects and stunt work as well. That scene in the uh, the reservoir with the uh, semi-truck and motorcycle chase is absolutely iconic. The stuff with the helicopter work. Instantly quotable, instantly memorable. If you have not seen the first two Terminator movies, you are missing out. Number 93, Baby Driver. Now, this one has kind of fallen on unpopular opinion more recently, just given that two of the leads in this movie are just absolute scumbag pieces of shit, but I absolutely adore this movie. It is a sort it's Edgar Wright's take on a heist movie with our lead character uh, having to listen to music to uh, focus to be this getaway driver. And a lot of uh, hijinks and uh, typical uh, uh, double crosses and things of that nature that you expect from a heist film happen. But it's the way Edgar Wright paints every narrative that he does that makes it so 
instantly enjoyable. The characters are all fantastic. The action is incredible and super stylized and very Edgar Wright. The iPod playlist soundtrack of uh, the main character, Baby, is absolutely memorable and complimentary to the movie as a whole. It is just a super fun movie, and uh, sometimes that's all a movie needs to be. It's just super fun. Number 92... David Lynch's Lost Highway. Now, I talked a little bit about this in my David Lynch and Deadly Premonition episode, so I'm not going to go too in-depth into this, but I friggin' love this movie. It is an absolutely insane cast and soundtrack. The movie is dreamy and nightmarish and beautiful and terrifying, and another classic example of that David Lynch style of neo-noir that I find so delectable. Uh, and just hella 90s. It is so good. Uh, every time Rammstein comes on the soundtrack in that uh, movie, it just, it's like fucking magic happens. This movie is crazy and well worth a watch. Number 91, Halloween 2, specifically Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Now, Rob Zombie is an important filmmaker to me. As you well know, if you have been a longtime listener of this show, I wanted to have at, I want to have at least one movie by him on my top 100 because I frequently revisit his movies. But I get different things from different moments out of his movies. At the end of the day, I think Halloween 2 is my favorite movie by him. And, again, went over this in more detail in the uh, Ranking the Halloween sequels uh, episode, so you can check that out if you are curious. But just a mean, nasty, visceral, dark, twisted, surreal take on the Halloween formula that is just characteristic of all the things that work super well of about Rob Zombie's filmmaking, and it ends up being one of the most unique entries in the series. Um, I really like it, and I'm okay with really liking it. Number 90, Miami Vice. Again, more attached to the TV show than I am this movie, but I have come around significantly on this movie. Uh, Every single time I watch it, I get more and more out of it. It is, of course, another tale about the morality of undercover work and how that can skew what, uh who you are as a person uh a lot of which uh were issues that were dealt in the with in the tv show of course famously is about uh detectives uh crockett and Tubbs, who work uh for the vice squad of the miami-dade police department going undercover to do drug busts um this movie is super strange a lot of it doesn't work um, I, I've grown to like a lot of the movie's uh, shortcomings, even regardless of me acknowledging that they don't work super well. I don't think uh, Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx have very convincing chemistry of, as Crockett and Tubbs. I think the story is really by the numbers. It's just every moment that Michael Mann paints in this movie is beautifully sad and lonely and thought-provoking. It's almost like going into this weird dream uh, filtered through the lens of Miami Vice. And it really works. It has a very slow, methodical, deliberate pacing. Um, And it also is just 
bolster, uh, boosted by the fact that the, this movie's cinematography is incredible. Uh, this very lo-fi early digital work that has a lot of texture and grain to it. The nighttime shots in this movie are just incredible. Um, and also, it's an interesting experiment of how the TV show was sort of enveloping everything that was cool about the 80s, translating it to 2006. This is pretty much 2006, the movie. Just like translating uh, an interesting experiment and translating style across a couple decades. I really like this movie. It's not going to work for everyone. I like. It's kind of funny to see this weird resurgence it's been having recently, and this like cult fan base that it has. Uh, interesting movie, worth checking out, but not going to please everyone, especially if you're a big fan of the TV show. Number eighty-nine, Singing in the Rain. A lot of nostalgia for this. All about the. Uh, it's all about the uh, dilemma these uh, filmmakers and actors have about transitioning from the silent film era to the era of talking pictures, and it's just a gorgeous, lavish, decadent, funny, touching musical from the golden age of Hollywood musicals. The musical numbers are incredible. The performances are immaculate. And from what I remember, it's also not as problematic as a lot of movies from that era are. It is just, it is laugh out loud funny. It is catchy. It is engaging. I've had a deep love of this movie ever since I was a really, uh, really young kid. Still really love it to this day. Number 88, Saw. I fucking love Saw. And this movie, just like, every time I watch it, I, I especially, I did that binge watch of the sequels uh, a couple of years ago now, before uh, Spiral came out. And by the end of it, I was like, do I even like the first Saw? Because I, I went from Saw 2 to Jigsaw, and I put on... The first Saw, I was like, do I even like the first Saw? And I watched it again, I was like, oh yeah, this movie kicks ass. The horror is intense. It is a great mystery thriller, first and foremost. It is not obsessed with gore. It is not obsessed with torture. Spare a few moments of the film. It's just a well-laid-out, thought-provoking mystery. And there's a certain charm and innocence to it because of the low budget it's uh sort of reminds me of the first uh evil dead in that way uh there's a lot of things that don't work about it i mean the like editing is very painfully 2004 or whatever this movie came out yeah 2004 the the acting isn't the best because they oftentimes really had to just roll with the first take but just the tale it weaves and the 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 deeper and deeper you get into it, that by the time that, like, final reveal happens, I'm always like, this movie fucking rules. I have nothing but love for the first Saw. Number 87, George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead. I watched this movie with my good friend Brian once, and he asked me, is this supposed to be scary? And I don't think it necessarily is. George A. Romero was a big fan of horror comics from the 40s and 50s. This movie feels like a horror comic book. It's bright, it's colorful, it's uh, it's like a zombie adventure. It's deeply funny, it's got some great gross-out horror in it. It is, and also, of course, because it's George Romero, a great commentary on survivalism and 
Oh, excuse me. I just hate before I did this episode. So if you're playing the drinking game, you're probably going to get a lot of burping. Um, but it is a great commentary on survivalism and consumerism. Uh, of course, a famous image of comparing shopping uh, mall attendants to zombies. Uh, great characters. I Ken Forey is not in enough things. I fucking love that man so much. Um, and, of course, phenomenal special effects by Tom Savini. Like, groundbreaking special effects. Uh... I, is not as important to me as Night of the Living Dead is, which uh, will be coming up higher up on this list, but it is always super fun, start to finish, nonetheless, with uh, a deep underlying darkness, and but a little bit more hope at the end of the film. Uh, I, James Rolfe of Cinemassacre said that Dawn of the Dead is the dawn after the night. It is a little bit more positive outlook for humanity. And uh, just a super cool film. Number 86, RoboCop. RoboCop is a movie that I didn't fully appreciate uh, when I first saw it in high school. It was just, like, so dark and so intense. And, like, it honestly kind of fucked me up in some regards. Because the violence in this movie is brutal. So visceral. So just carnage-ridden. More so than a lot of horror movies that I've seen. I rewatched it fairly recently, and this movie just absolutely rules with its commentary on fascism and the police presence in America and this sort of, like, consumerism and business mind of the late 1980s. Um, it, is, it is a very smart film, uh, disguised as this macho... Uh, <laughs> this is just macho, blood-soaked, doing coke off a of model's titties fucking 80s action movie and it still works as that as well the action in this movie is absolutely incredible um but the acting in this is phenomenal uh two of my <laughs> two of my twin peaks homies uh ray wise and miguel ferrer uh do fantastic work in this uh kurtwood smith is an incredible villain as clarence Boddicker, just the biggest slime ball on the planet and at the center of it is peter weller playing robocop who has this very lonely personal story as a through line about uh the blurring the lines between humanity and machines that uh was also very popular in the 80s super cool movie way smarter than it has any right to be uh, and also, you get to see some just ridiculous blood-soaked carnage in it. Number 85, Michael Mann's Heat. Probably the best heist movie there ever is, and ever will be. Um, the, oh God, this movie is just so beautiful. It is, it's like two hours and 45 minutes, and it never feels the runtime. The stunt work is phenomenal. That shootout in the streets of L.A. is just absolutely legendary. Pacino and De Niro are phenomenal leads, and all the side characters work really well, too, with uh, Dennis Haysbert and Danny Trejo. Um, it's just it's such a taut, well-written script about, again, a lot of, my, uh, of Michael Mann's film work has to do with this duality between uh, law enforcement and criminals, and this is a phenomenal example of it as well. Um, just one of the best screenplays, 
one of the best looking movies. Uh, this movie uh, is about the like crime underbelly of L.A., but L.A. has that like dreamy, uh, gorgeous look to it. Phenomenal movie. Number night. Uh, excuse me. Number eighty-four. Night of the Creeps. This movie is just good, plain fun. It's uh, directed by Fred Decker, who also did Monster Squad, which I have not seen, but is a cult favorite. And it is, a again, another like sort of mashup and homage to horror of an earlier generation, this time the 50s and 60s. It is part alien movie, it is part slasher movie, it is part zombie movie, and it is 100 Shades of Fun. Tom Atkins is the fucking man. So quotable in this. So much fun such a great lead all the leads in this have such charisma it is the best type of schlocky goofy horror that suits itself well to being a mid-80s horror film but also a loving homage to earlier b-movies and science fiction films of the 50s and 60s night of the creeps thrill me <laughs> number 83 twin peaks Firewalk with me uh as you know uh, Twin Peaks is my favorite TV show. You might be thinking this is a little low on the list, and it kind of is. Um, I have a complicated relationship with this movie. When The first time I saw this movie, I fucking hated it. I did not understand it. I thought it was just gratuitous exploitation for the backstory of Laura Palmer, which we knew through and through after the show wrapped. And I just didn't understand how, like we were going to follow the TV show and not wrap up any of the mysteries still left behind in that show. You have to go into the mindset of Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me that that is not just simply not what this movie is about. And to David Lynch, it appears that Twin Peaks has always been about the struggle of Laura Palmer. And that would eventually be evidently clear in the Twin Peaks return in 2017 as well. So on that right, it is. This is an absolutely uh, harrowing and frightening journey into uh, a deep, dark tale of abuse and loneliness and just dark underlying drama in this otherwise idyllic small town. Um, it's low on this list because... On its own, I think I still think there's a lot of things about this movie that don't work. I actually recommend checking out uh, the Agent Sam Stanley uh, Blue Rose fan edit of this movie, which takes a lot of the deleted content and puts it back into the film. It feels more like a cohesive narrative. Um, it's still a, a great movie on its own, but there's just a few missing pieces if you will that uh keep it from being higher on this list but it is absolutely breathtaking uh, i had the opportunity to see it in theaters once it is gorgeous the soundtrack is incredible it is dark scary heartbreaking a true david lynch work through and through and on a lighter note number 82 is little shop of horrors <laughs> i fucking love this movie this uh 80s remake of this super low-budget Roger Corman film uh, from the mid-60s. Well, I shouldn't say it's a remake. It is an adaptation of a musical that is based off of that movie uh, about a uh, this sort of, like, schlubby kid who works at a flor uh, flower shop, a flower shop, ugh, and uh, discovers this mysterious plant that has a thirst for human 
blood. <laughs> Just stacked front to back with memorable characters, great acting, Rick Moranis, Ellen Green, Steve Martin, and even the side characters, the little cameos, John Candy, Bill Murray. Such a funny movie. Great cast. Phenomenal music numbers, all done in sort of like 50s, 60s rockabilly and doo-wop style. It is an incredible movie, made even better with a director's cut that's now available that has the original ending intact. Just an amazing creature feature, wonderful special practical effects on the plant, Audrey 2. I love this movie. It is just so fun, so carefree, and so funny. And I could watch it like any day of the week and never get sick of it. Number 81, Perfect Blue. Uh, I don't watch a lot of anime. Uh, the animes that I've seen are predominantly movies. And this is probably the best one, that, or at least my favorite one that I've seen. This movie is so good. It's all about a retired pop singer who uh, her sense of reality is shaken when she is stalked by an obsessed fan and seemingly a ghost of her past. It This movie does surreal storytelling and the idea of an unreliable narrator so well on top of having the most gorgeous animation that you could get from that like sweet spot of 90s anime uh gorgeous soundtrack haunting visuals deeply unsettling twisted dark plot um that oh god i just i love this movie if you have not seen this movie and you are an anime fan definitely check it out it is well worth the watch number 80 michael mann's manhunter hot take this might be my favorite hannibal lecter movie i i love this movie it is an adaptation of thomas harris's novel red dragon so it is all about uh fbi profiler will graham's uh hunt for the red dragon sil uh, serial killer this movie is like a crime thriller uh horror film spectacle as told through the lens of the guy who helped create excuse me miami vice so everything is sort of very stylized neon pastels weird avant-garde art deco 80s uh uh set pieces and uh architecture beautiful looking movie um super dark story about this troubled fbi profiler who has to come to grips with having to think like all of these notorious killers that he is hunting now brian cox is a phenomenal actor I, I definitely think Anthony Hopkins is a better Hannibal Lecter. I think he Brian Cox is a great Hannibal Lecter in the context of this movie. However, the thing that really steals the show in this movie is Tom Noonan as uh, Francis Dollarhide, the Red Dragon serial, serial killer. He is sympathetic but terrifying, and oh, this movie is so good. I... I, I would still say I, I think I like this more than Silence of the Lambs, although it's really close. Um, I don't think I have Silence on the Lambs on the uh, Silence of the Lambs on this list, but that movie is also phenomenal. I just uh, you gotta you gotta pick and choose when you're making a list like this. So Manhunter made it definitely worth checking out. Number seventy nine, Dario Argento's Suspiria dreamy nightmarish all the things i love about italian horror 
movies boiled into one per almost perfect picture gorgeous use of color just absolutely ghoulish nightmarish uh acts of violence a deeply weird and surreal sense of storytelling uncomfortable start to finish with an absolutely batshit insane climax and one of my favorite film soundtracks ever point blank period is the soundtrack that goblin did for this movie it is so good if you have not seen suspiria you are missing out and it is a great way to start a venture into italian horror mil- uh, uh, uh italian horror filmmaking of that era Another great example is my number 78 pick, Lucio Fulci's The Beyond. This movie is so gross, so weird, so warped, all about this lady who inherits inherits a uh, hotel that is built on one of the seven gateways to hell, and holy fuck, does everything go wrong for everyone in this movie. Lucio Fulci is just an incredible filmmaker. He really is a filmmaker first and storyteller second, which may turn some people off, but I just the way this movie looks is gorgeous and gross and just fucking fucked up. Like the the level of gore in Lucio Fulci, Fulci's movie movies are is just like still unrivaled. Like it is the oh god. I, it's really hard to even like talk objectively about this movie other than it's just like it's weird and fucked up and I like weird and fucked up movies and this might be my favorite Italian horror movie although uh, Suspiria and the Beyond could easily like swap back and forth depending on my mood. Number 77, David Lynch's Wild at Heart, a phenomenal dark romance road movie about the this uh, outlaw on the run with his uh, just starstruck, love-struck girlfriend um, as they are um, trying to find... Oh, as they... No, I'm sorry, I had to refresh like what why they're actually on the run. They, uh, the story is about... Let's start over. <laughs> so the story is about these two lovers who are on the run because the mother of the woman is unapproving of the man, and they are on the run from this group of killers that she has had hired to kill him. Starring Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern, who have phenomenal chemistry and are just instantly likable. Another great cast with Willem Dafoe playing another just sick and fucked up weird villain. And a lot of great side characters, Harry Dean Stanton, Isabella Rosalina, uh, Rosalini, and a lot of uh, Twin Peaks mainstays like Grace Sabrisky and Sherilyn Fenn and Cheryl Lee, and I believe Jack Nance is in this movie. Yep, there he is. Uh, it's just a very sweet movie uh, with a lot of dark undertones to it. Again, that sort of that neo-noir sensibility of David Lynch that makes it into a really enjoyable road movie and it uh has a lot of parallels to the wizard of oz about the this journey and the weird things that these two people get uh in enthralled in and encounter on the way to uh what they think is going to be the end of their yellow brick road very sweet somber dark twisted uh cool movie really like it number 76 heavy metal 
uh, inspired by the French publication of the same name. Heavy Metal is just a fever dream of weird sci-fi and fantasy stories with just incredible animation and a goofy stoner sense of humor from the early 80s and that's really all i can say about it it is just well worth experiencing you can experience it on any sort of <laughs> imperative substance and uh, it just makes it all the that better super cool movie Number 75, Mad Max Fury Road. I still remember the fucking rush I had coming out of the theater after seeing this movie. This movie is just nonstop, paced like fucking bananas crazy, gorgeous visuals, incredible action, phenomenal. It's basically one long car chase, and it just it never gets tiring, it never gets boring. It's just insane cinematography and characters. It, for me personally, it's uh, my favorite in the Mad Max series. Um, if you have not seen it uh, and you are an action fan, it is well worth checking out. Number 74, Candyman. Candyman is a horror movie that still gets under my skin every time I watch it. Uh, this dark tale of obsession about this ancient, or not ancient, but this uh, spirit that lives in this uh, slum housing facility or complex in the uh, middle of Chicago. <gasps> Excuse me. This urban legend come to life that is seeking vengeance and to seek this uh, long-lost love that uh, was taken from him because he was a black man in the Deep South is haunting enough to begin with. And then you just... Everything about this movie just feels like descending into a nightmare. Like, it, it leaves enough plausible deniability to the point where, like, maybe this... Uh, our lead character isn't entirely in the right headspace some just brutal darks haunting moments in this movie and chilling gorgeous cinematography that takes uh city of chicago and turns it into this just gothic looking nightmarish landscape uh aided by the phenomenal soundtrack by philip glass uh tony todd is a phenomenal actor and is just the embodiment of this character like some people are just born to play a role and this was one um Candyman, say his name five times watch the movie five times i'm not good at this whole podcasting thing number 73 john woo's the killer john woo's movies are just always that incredible ballet of stylized violence acrobatics I got two hands, I should have two guns. And in it is this uh, cool story about a uh, uh, hitman and a blind woman and uh, the double crosses. And it's been a while since I've seen it, so I, I don't remember the plot exactly. Um, but <laughs> it's, the plot is always sort of secondary in a John Woo movie. It, you really just go for the spectacle, and the killer has a phenomenal spectacle to it with this dark, almost Shakespearean tragedy angle to it towards the end of the film as well, but super cool movie, well worth watching. 
Number 72 is Edgar Wright's Hot Fuzz. This is probably my favorite Edgar Wright movie. Super funny riff on the cop movie genre. Uh, just instantly memorable characters. Great performances by Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. I love, love, love that Timothy Dalton is the villain in this movie. The dialogue is so funny and fast and uh, quotable. The visual gags and humor land so well. Uh, Edgar Wright is just a phenomenal filmmaker, and I think this is his crowning achievement. Number 71, John Woo's Hard Boiled. This is a more straightforward cop story. Um, again, the story, again, is sort of secondary. Just an incredible circus of violence and gunplay uh, culminating in this phenomenal one-take one shot in a hospital towards the end of the movie. Uh, any fan of action movies or student of action movies owes it to themselves to study the works of John Woo uh, because he is a master that does it like no one else. And uh, Chow, Chow Yun-Fat is just an incredible uh, leading man for uh, Hong Kong action films. Number 70, uh, Jordan Peele's debut film, Get Out. Uh, Get Out is uh, just incredible. Great social commentary, layered political uh, ideology, and also just a really well-thought-out horror movie. Very clever, uh, darkly funny in some ways, super fucked up and haunting in others. An incredible movie from an incredible voice in horror today. I'm picking up the pace a little bit here because uh, we're already at 44 minutes and we're in the <laughs> 60s finally, uh, which means we'll definitely be splitting this into two parts. Number 69, Apocalypse Now. I finally watched Apocalypse Now for the first time over the summer and was absolutely blown away. Uh, it is, of course, the basically the story of Heart of Darkness filtered through the lens of the Vietnam War, and it is just devastating and haunting. There were a few moments in that movie where I almost thought I was going to burst into tears because of this just story of the sheer brutality of man in the war setting and this dark emotional journey that all the characters go through martin sheen and uh marlon brando are absolutely phenomenal in this movie one of the best looking movies ever especially i highly recommend watching the final cut it takes the best of both worlds from the theatrical and redux edits them into a three hour long movie with some new uh updated uh color uh gradations and hd transfers Absolutely breathtaking, super worthwhile, super worth a three-hour runtime. Number 68, The Lost Boys. The Lost Boys, again, is just good, clean fun. Uh, super, it is a super uh, over-the-top 80s vampire splatter film uh, mixed with a teen comedy and drama uh, by way of John Hughes, which I have a deep affinity for, and The Lost Boys. The Lost Boys is probably like the most 80s movie ever made. The The style, the music, the fashion, the the characters, it is the, like the most 80s movie ever made. Kiefer Sutherland is a great villain in it. I love uh, both Corey's in it, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. Super fun, super enjoyable. Uh, cool, uh, uh, gothy 80s twist on the vampire legend. Number 67 is Natural Born Killers. Um, 
lot of controversy behind this movie because of it being rewritten from a Quentin Tarantino script and Quentin Tarantino sort of disowning this movie. This is Oliver Stone's movie, and it is just wild, batshit lunacy. The filmmaking standpoint alone is just fucking crazy. They shot on several different medias, like... Uh, mediums, excuse me, like 8mm film and video and 16mm and 35mm and they used animation and it just tells this weird, dark, warped story, another road movie about these just two batshit insane serial killers killing their way across America. But be, and kind of impressively, uh, the lead characters are super engage, engaging and likable, even though they're the most detestable human beings ever. Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis have absolutely phenomenal chemistry, and this movie works really well. This is an absolute head trip mindfuck of a movie, and super cool to experience. Number 66, The Emperor's New Groove. I have a lot of, like, road movies on my list, I'm realizing. Uh, I, this one is mainly nostalgia-based. I still think this movie is super charming and super funny. I quote this movie incessantly with my sister. I love the characters in it. I love the animation. I think David Spade and John Goodman have a lot of charisma and... Uh, uh, chemistry in the leads. Uh, Patrick Warburton and... Uh, Oh, fuck, I can't remember her name. Um, Eartha Kitt, of course. Patrick War Warburton and Eartha Kitt are just so funny as Yzma and Kronk. Uh, if you've seen this movie, you kind of know why it's on the list. I, I fucking adore this movie. Um, I, I, just, I also really like the animation. I like the, the almost like... Uh, the sort of like... Uh, uh, like uh, old... Uh, I'm trying to think... Not like hieroglyphic, but they're the sort of like uh, tapestry... It's like very influenced by like uh, the like ancient paintings from like uh, Asian cultures, and I think it works really well in this regard. Uh, cool, f just a fun, funny little movie, sweet movie, fun for the whole family. Number sixty-five. I'm not supposed to talk about it, but it's Fight Club. I'm still not good at this whole podcasting thing. Fight Club is uh, was a formative movie for me. Um, I. It's low on this list because I've become kind of disillusioned with it. The whole, <laughs> not to tell people how to like their movies, but a lot of people like this movie for the wrong reason. I like that this movie is like a satire of macho posturing and like anarchistic values and ideals and stuff like that, which is <laughs> ironically sort of the takeaway that people have is it is just like a fuck the man i i'm a lone wolf kind of guy movie i think it's a i think it's supposed to be a satire of that but to each their own just a brilliant script brilliant uh performances by ed norton and brad pitt it's iconic it's hard to say anything else about it it's fight club you're either gonna love it or hate it i think this movie still is really fucking cool Number 64, Old Boy, the Korean original, not the Spike Lee remake that we don't talk about. Uh, one of the most fucked up revenge movies I've ever seen. The simple concept alone, when I tell people about this movie, I, just, I sell them on the concept alone. It's all about a man who is taken hostage and held in a room for 15 years, and then one day he is just let go. And he needs to find out who held, who held him there and why, if he wants to stay alive. Just a crazy movie, a dark, twisted, deeply unsettling revenge film dealing with morality, 
and justice and injustice and and about uh fucking about hypocrisy and just how grudges and on top of it has some just brilliant cinematography another one take action sequence in this movie that is breathtaking uh if you've not seen this movie i highly recommend checking it out but just know that you're not in for a a happy-go-lucky time number 63 predator another movie that's kind of uh trojan horse uh satire about uh machismo in the 80s going against the one thing that can stop them but this movie just is so much fucking fun. John McTiernan's one of the best action directors who have ever directed an action film. The The characters in this are so goddamn likable. It's quotable. The Predator itself it has incredible design, and uh, the acrobatics of the actor that played him, who I am forgetting the name of, and I can't find right now. That's okay. Um... It's just absolutely incredible. Just a great, sweaty, (laughs) jungle action movie from the 80s, of which there were several, but this is one of the best. I fucking love Predator. Number 62, Purple Rain. This movie doesn't work in a lot of ways, but I fucking love it. It is the, like, best example of just ego-stroking and decadent 80s splendor. It is just such a... Just such a intoxicating cocktail of of like just everything that was prince the world that he like existed in in his music is put to film in this movie and a lot of it doesn't work there's a lot of things about this movie that haven't aged well but the performances are immaculate the album purple rain is one of my favorites and this is just such a cheesy just goofy, off-the-wall, self-indulgent, wonderful little movie that I will defend till the day I die. Number 61. As you wish, it's The Princess Bride. Oh, The Princess Bride. Just what a movie. What a brilliant, sweet, funny, exciting, adventure, fantasy romp. Uh... Wonderful characters, wonderful performances. You can quote it until you are blue in the face. And it's always a delight when someone is there that knows the whole movie as well. Uh, if you've seen The Princess Bride, you already know. It's it's so it's just so good. Number sixty, Cobra. Uh, I had to be I had to pick and choose which like of the sort of uh, cheesy, corny stupid Stallone movies went on this list and it had to be Cobra. This movie was my favorite movie for a long time in like eighth grade or so. This movie fucking rips. Uh, Just tough guy, cop, crime is a disease, he's a cure. That poster should just tell you everything about this movie. It's like one of the best fucking posters. Chewing on matchsticks, leather gloves, Aviator sunglasses, a cult of killers that <laughs> just get around in a room and clank axes together, a great car chase, great one-liners, great action, elements of a slasher movie, which always wins at marks for me, uh, Cobra fucking rules. Um, I wish that, like, two-and-a-half-hour cut of it still existed, because I would gladly eat that shit up. 
Number 59, another Stallone joint, Nighthawks. And this is actually like a really good movie, a really great, uh, uh, a really great taut cat and mouse thriller about these two cops who are uh, taken off the streets to be on a terrorist task force to tr uh, track down this uh, at-large terrorist played by Rutger Hauer, who is incredible in this movie. Uh, Stallone and Billy D. Williams play the cops, and they have phenomenal chemistry. Uh, super, super intense, thrilling movie with this weighty sense of realism to it. New York still has that sort of like grimy exploitation film edge to it, uh, that coming off the late 70s into the early 80s. Phenomenal soundtrack by Keith Emerson. Some just awesome, awesome uh, suspense pieces and action in this movie. Really worth watching if you've not seen it. Number 58, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Again, I know J.K. Rowling, piece of shit, whatever, but it's... I grew up with these movies. I love these movies. I I still have a lot of fun watching them. And Goblet of the and the Goblet of Fire is probably always going to be my favorite. I, I love the story of it. I love the character dilemmas in it. I love the visuals, the set pieces, the dragon underwater, the maze, uh, the reveal of Voldemort in this movie. This uh, it's, just, it's such a good movie. I this one is always going to be my favorite, and it's hard to like explain if you are not a Potterhead, which is cool. So we'll just move on to our next one. Number fifty-seven, uh, David Fincher's *The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo*, just a pitch black crime mystery drama thriller. Just fucking so good, so good. Super smart, super warped, super dark. I've never read the book. One of these days, I want to read the book, but it just has this gnarly, realistic, uh, exploitative edge to the whole thing. Uh, phenomenal chemistry with Daniel Craig and Rooney Mara. Everyone in this movie is great. Christopher Plummer, Bill Skarsgård, um, or not Bill Skarsgård, excuse me, Stellan Skarsgård. Uh, I've been hearing Bill Skarsgård so much recently. You don't hear about Stellan as much anymore, but this movie is just great. Brilliant cinematography. It's just super cold, icy, barren, dark, uh, desolate, bleak. Just, oh, it's so good. Um, if you want to sell yourself on this movie, you got to watch the like original teaser trailer. That's like just real sharp, one second cuts to the uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross cover of uh, Immigrant Song. Ugh, love this movie. Love the mystery. Love the weight of everything. Just so good. Number 56, The Dark Knight. This is another one where it's like, what can I even say anymore about this movie? It is absolutely incredible. It is no longer my favorite Batman movie. Uh, we'll get to a couple more if, probably in the next episode. But The Dark Knight is just incredible start to finish. Every time I watch it, there's some pacing issues, and it really starts to fall off towards the back third. But Heath Ledger is iconic. The action is breathtaking the pacing for the most part is breakneck great movie i cannot undersell how much i do love this movie even though i don't think it's the best batman movie anymore number 55 i'm putting uh grindhouse which is cheating technically because it's technically two movies the planet terror and death proof by uh robert rodriguez and tarantino uh, respectively but the entire experience of grindhouse makes it worth the watch bridged with the fake trailers in between and everything else because like 
both movies on their own are fine. I've come around on Death Proof a lot, and I've fallen out of love with Planet Terror a bit. Uh, but the whole experience is just awesome. Uh, great throwback to uh, 70s and 80s exploitation films. Wonderful characters, wonderful direction. Those trailers in the middle are so fucking good. If you can, you gotta get that Blu-ray that has the entire Grindhouse feature on it. Uh, that's the best way to watch it. Number 54, Layer Cake. This one's a little bit of a deep cut, but it is actually the movie that uh, got Bond producers hyped on uh, Daniel Craig. And this is just a really good gangster movie about uh, drug trafficking in England. And, uh, of course, like trying to get out, make a clean exit, but being uh, pulled deeper and deeper into the layer cake of crime. This movie is just really likable. It's really uh, clever. Uh, I love the dialogue. I love the script of it. I love the visuals. I think Matthew Vaughn is a great visual director. Um, I love the performances. I think Daniel Craig is really good in this, along with the, the ensemble cast of uh, phenomenal British actors that are in this. Definitely worth a watch. Number 53, The Rock. Oh, this movie is just another just great action movie. Essentially doing the like box format of Die Hard, but this time on Alcatraz. Ed, Her uh, excuse me, Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, Ed Harris, just phenomenal cast. Uh, Sean Connery is so fucking good in this movie, and he works really well with Nicolas Cage. Uh, the action is brutal and intense. Um, the The stakes are high. It's just a great, well constructed action thriller. Number fifty two, The Shining. I don't even really feel like I need to say why The Shining is on this list. It's incredible. It's one of the best horror movies ever made. Moving on. <laughs> Number 51, Mr. Mom. Mr. Mom has a big soft spot uh, for Mr. Mom. A uh, lot of nostalgia for it. Just a sweet... It's kind of... It's, it's The premise itself is kind of dopey. Uh, dude in the early 80s played by Michael Keaton, gets laid off because uh, they're losing jobs in the auto industry in uh, Detroit. Mom has to go to work, and hijinks ensue because uh, he doesn't know how to be a mom. Uh, it's kind of dopey and also, like, a little dated, but it's just such a sweet movie. Michael Keaton and Terry Garr have great chemistry. All the side characters are funny. The kids are a lot of fun. The hijinks, I do think, are really funny. Um, it's just a sweet little movie comfort food for me i really enjoy it and we'll end this part of the episode with number 50 django unchained i this was the first tarantino movie i saw in the theaters i remember watching it with my dad and just laughing my ass off of the absurdity of all the violence i love fucking i it sue me i love tarantino's rewritings of history i like that this is essentially a black exploitation movie that takes place in the deep south there is something very gratifying about a former slave just killing a bunch of white slave owners it is a fun deeply uh deep dark <laughs> adventure and comedy a blending of genres that tarantino does so well this is always going to be one of my favorites from him i just think this movie is so good and I think we will end it there. Tune in to the next episode where I will count down from number 49 to number 1. And that's going to do it for today. Um, 
yeah, <laughs> I'm just, I, I don't know, I'm still not very good at this. Uh, but thank you so much for listening. If you have any thoughts on these movies or anything in general, <laughs> I'm fucking this up so bad. Let's just roll the music and let's just get out of here. You know where to find me. Uh, we've got the Facebook and Instagram page. You can email us at monsters.midnight at gmail.com. Uh, midnight spelled incorrect me. Again, letterbox.com slash Flamingo. If you want to see my thoughts on other non-horror movies or if you want to spoil the ending of this list, tune in next time and we will get to see what my number one favorite movie of all time is.